Hello everyone, it's Friday the 24th of June and welcome to episode 110 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. Ben is here but he's having tech issues so at the moment it's just me. Today on the show we're discussing the government's food strategy which was published back on the 13th of June so there has now been a bit of time for everyone to digest what it says. The policy paper is a response to Henry Dimbleby's independent review of the food system which was published in two parts in 2020 and 21. It looks at health, sustainability and accessibility in the context of international pressures, food security and the government's so-called levelling up agenda. To discuss the strategy, we are joined today by Stuart Roberts, who farms in Hertfordshire and is now the Lib Dems Food and Farming Advisor celebrating today, and nutritionist Lucy Williamson, who provides independent nutritional advice for a range of clients across the country and is also a Love British Food Ambassador and a former vet. Also with us, we have our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kites, Becky Leach, and as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Auckland. Chris, over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, before I start, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, it's quite a personal story, and I only knew the other half of it until yesterday evening. It's absolutely true. So if you don't believe anything I say on any other podcast, believe this one. And it goes back to when I was a student on farming college, a sandwich year. It was a bit of a difficult time. I didn't find it easy. But one of the farmer's wives I worked for was really good to me. She was fantastic. And we had a pretty close bond. I thought she was lovely. And she also had an amazing young daughter who I completely adored. And she was aged about three. Right. And I'd babysit for her, play with her, read her stories. And I just loved being around her. And I'm not afraid to admit that I was besotted with this little lass. And I think she made me want my own kids in life. Anyway, life rolled on and we lost touch. But over the 30 years, I often thought of her and wondered what she was doing, whether she had graduated or married and who she had married. And what her and her mum were doing. I was very fond of them both then and obviously still am. And every so often I'd get a photo album out and look at the only photo I had of them. And I did this three weeks ago. So a bit of soppy reminiscing. Well, yesterday I found out what happened to my pretty little girlfriend of 30 years ago aged three she's a wife and a mother now the mother of four daughters your daughters will she's your wife and right now i'm an emotional wreck no way way. absolutely god's truth wow I've been shaking since last night. Jesus. Okay. She's not here, otherwise I'd call her into the room. We end end the podcast (laughs) at this point. I'd I'd call her into the room for an Esther Ranson moment. (laughs) Wow. She won't remember me, but I've never forgotten her. Oh, my God. Wow. Amazing. See, you were in, in, in North Shropshire. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. I'll, I'll see. I'll see Jane today. She's coming to the sports day. Sarah's mum. Wow. It's astonishing. You'll, oh, you have to come. You have to come and see. God, goodness me! This is. Close your mouth now, Stuart. <laughs> I, 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 I just didn't know where on earth that story was going for part of it, Chris. And I am. I've got to say, for the first time in my life, I think I'm speechless, Chris. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Goodness well, me. I, I, I what's, was. The, what's, the, what's the market doing, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you find that out, Chris? I was at a conference. Okay. And there were some people from down the road. Anyway, it's Glastonbury this week, so there's only one place to bring my podcast from, and that's from Worthy Farm, and specifically the Pyramid Stage, where I'm headlining over the weekend. At this point, you're all meant to shout and scream hysterically like the mega star. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a one-man market report show just for Michael Evis and Emily, and there won't be anyone else there, of course, because the majority of people who go to Glastonbury are rabid George Monbiot-loving vegan environmentalists who hate cows and farmers for 360 days of the year, but who don't <laughs> mind being on a wicked, polluting, climate-murdering British dairy farm for the five days when they're there. There's nothing like parking your ethics for a good knees up, eh? <laughs> Still, it's a huge hello again to my favourite ever ex-NFU deputy dog, Stupot Robots, the Stupor. eminent farming advisor to the resurgent Lib Dems. Clearly, Mr Stupot is making his mark. And the voters are following him. So well done, you. And we've also got Lucy on the show. Welcome, the first vet turned nutritionist I've ever met. And what a perfect combination. The absolute ultimate in sustainable food consumption. You can recommend the very best type of animal to eat in the first place. And if there's any left at the end of the meal, you can take it back to surgery and put it back together. <laughs> anyway, enough inane banter onto my report and let's start with the GDT and it was down again I'm afraid but not much only 1.3% so very neutral uh, China again didn't buy much uh, whole milk powder led the prices down but butter and skim increased overall um, so not a bad result. And I think the commodity prices convert to around 42 pence. Uh, nevertheless, Terra has already increased its season's price projections a bit on the back of it, up uh, half a cent uh, to 9.5 New Zealand dollars per kilo of solids and not a very inspiring price of 37p. In Europe, it's a similar situation. The standoff goes on, but is holding above 7,000 euros. Others say it's a bit below. But butter is stable again uh, at 6,000 because sterling has weakened again. Uh, cream is still very high, up to 290 uh, pence a kilo. Skims weakened off a bit uh, in line with the GDT and the buyers are talking the price down, but way has tanked, so not good news for cheesemakers there. Uh, the futures had a meltdown last week. Butter is down a bit more, I'm afraid. Uh, skim powder up a bit. 
so there's a little bit of positivity there, but not a lot. And the futures are all pointing still to a 51 pence milk price in the near term. But if that's a little bit positive, wait till you hear what I've got to say about cheddar. And that's leapt again. I'm putting mild now at 4,900 sterling, a jump of 150 pounds a tonne. How great is that, I say? Well, not really very great at all. It might be, it might as well be a million pounds a tonne because no one's got any to sell, unfortunately. Finally, spot milk is at 60p, which is pretty immaterial too, as basically no one can afford to buy it. And so tight is cheese that the manufacturers can't afford to sell it either because they'll short their customers further down the line. So that's it from me. Quick roundup there, done and dusted. All I need to do now is finish by doing Stupot's job by telling the rest of you in the country to vote Liberal Democrat. Let there be no doubts. Stewbot robots will be the saviour of the countryside and the new superhero of farming. And I know this because I'm looking at him right now on this Zoom call. And very fetching you look too in your orange cape with your orange underpants on the outside of your trousers. What an image to leave you on. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Stuart and Lucy, um, welcome to the podcast and good luck following that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Stuart, first of all, can you update us uh, in your new role with the Lib Dems, please? Um, well, look, the first thing, I'm slightly shocked this morning that Chris knows what colour underpants I've, uh, I've got on. <laughs> uh, but I, but I was going to say one of the real highlights of now not being uh, with the NFU is Chris couldn't refer to me as deputy dog anymore, but he's, um, <laughs> he's still got it in this morning. So, so thank you, Chris, for your extremely warm words. Um, so look, what I'm, I'm doing, uh, so I stepped down from the NFU, as, as you know, Will, in, uh, in February for, for uh, the, the key reason was to come and join the Lib Dems. Um, and, and basically, because I think uh, the countryside has been massively taken for granted by um, successive years of, of Tory government, I see a massive uh, void, if you like, in the in the rural voice and and the Lib Dems offered me an opportunity to work with them uh, and to to fill that void to actually come up with some positive answers for agriculture so at the moment I'm chairing a, a new group we haven't actually met we meet the first time next week we've had uh, yeah the by-election has slightly got in the way of our work so far uh, and we're going to be starting from the ground up you know what do we want as a country in a farming strategy what will be our food policies um, and as I'm sure we'll talk this morning there's a plethora of issues um, and for me this is not about um, trying to paint the Liberal Democrats as a if you like, as a, a home to go to if you're disenfranchised with the Tories, although clearly you're most welcome. <laughs> but actually, it's actually about having a really progressive, forward-looking set of policies to take into the next election um, on the issues that are so important to people, which is obviously food and farming, which is the, the area I, I know a little bit about. Mm. 
Okay, thank you, Stuart. Lucy, um, now your turn. Tell, tell us tell us briefly about um, your nutrition work and, and how you went from being a vet to becoming a nutritionist. Thanks, Will. Good morning, everybody. Um, gosh, that really rings true, um, Stuart, what you're saying about the void with the countryside um, in everyone's lives. So um, that was, I guess, the reason when I was very, very young that I always wanted to be a vet, just that connection with nature, just working out outdoors, um, and um, I worked as a vet in mixed practice for 15 years and really enjoyed it. But then um, I married into the RAF, actually. So we moved around a lot and it was quite hard to kind of keep that um, connection uh, work-wise going and, and stop work as, as you do to have a family. And 10 years later, having had a real interest in nutrition, working as a vet and trying not to be prescriptive all the time, but to try and... Um, think about disease from a preventative um, um, uh, methods and using nutrition um, in helping animals to get better. Um, I just, I don't know, I just became much more interested in that pathway for human health as well and felt that I just wanted to do more. And um, luckily, I was able to go and do a master's in nutrition at King's College in London seven years ago. And that was then my pathway towards um, a step into human health. But actually, it's uh, quite funny um, at, the, at the beginning when Chris said he's never met a, a vet nutritionist before. I'm not sure there are any others. It's a bit of a niche area I'm in. And um, I've, I found my work has sort of found me now because although I'm freelance as a nutritionist, that veterinary background that I have that connects me back to the land and back to animal welfare um is working so nicely and uh, in as much I'm, I'm working now with food producers, particularly food producers who are farming regeneratively or whatever we like to call that word. Um, and I'm able to sort of give the whole picture from soil through to potentially how that quality of the soil impacts the, the health of the food and, and, and our health ultimately. And it's a, it's a really great area to be working in, but frustrating as well, because there are a lot of barriers. But um, so it's great to, to be here this morning and to be able to share some knowledge with you. That's it. Thank you. Let's, let's ask you both for um, uh, what's your personal thoughts? Um, give us a broad overview of the government's food strategy. I mean, it's obviously such a big thing. We're, I'm sure we could all <laughs> talk about it all day. But but Stuart, why don't you go first and tell us your your, your main thoughts about it all? Yeah, look, I, I had um, I had high hopes for a food strategy. I think this country has been without one for for decades, really, of any substance. Um, and my immediate reaction is just a massive disappointment. Um, well, I think um, Lord Deben, of all people, John Gummer, um, described it as underwhelming. I think he said a bit, calling it underwhelming is polite. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. I think it lacks ambition. I think it's missed targets. So I, I, sadness probably is the is the big emotion that just in that missed opportunity. Now, um, if I wanted to make a political point, I also see that as a huge opportunity because there's a massive vacuum that I can now fill uh, with the group I've got. At, um, yeah, the silly things will like the fact that you know the word, and I'm sure Lucy will come on to this, and she's way more eloquent than I am on it. Yeah, the word nutrition appears. I think it's about half a dozen times. That's all. The word uh, po poverty appears just three times in the document. The topic that, that I get very excited 
excited about, which is water in this country. That appears once. And the word Brexit appears 15 times in the bloody document. You know, it's it's a document. Somebody described to me as a as a strategy, a food strategy written for a Tiverton by-election. And um, in which case, not only is it disappointing for all of us, it seriously let them down in the by-election as well. Mm. So disappointment, uh, missed opportunity. Um, and if I was Henry Dimbleby, who effectively wrote the sort of, if you like, the precursor to this, I'd be um, I wouldn't be best pleased with uh, with what's come out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about you, Lucy? Was there anything in the report that's particular interest to you? Well, I definitely would echo what Stuart was saying. I, I'm disillusioned with it. I do think there is it, it just gives you a greater resolve to take the opportunity to realise that well, we've got to just work even harder to try and get this whole message across I mean I um you know uh I was so inspired by Henry Dimbleby's work with uh word phrases like you know the food system now has to perform acrobatics to achieve this or food our food has to start making us well instead of sick I mean these are really these are um this is a narrative that we need to start finding a way of, of getting it out there and quite honestly the yeah the the government food strategy has um, fairly quashed that enthusiasm, I think, um, the great, greatly reduced recommendations from what came out of Henry Dimbleby's work. And um, I think for me as a nutritionist, I um, I just want to see this word health in talked about more in sustainability. It's just, you know, it, it very rarely comes up and it's such an obvious connection you know, our food is making us sick and the way we farm it, um, it has a huge part to play. People eat food three times, you know, eat meals hopefully three times a day. And each time they choose the food they're going to eat to do that, they can impact climate change. And it's just the whole the whole picture is 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 a beautiful um, circle that can work for, for many different reasons. So so that's my frustration with it. I think the, um, you know, there are a few things of particular interest. I, I like the fact that they are talking at least of metrics and um, we've got to find a way where we can objectively measure health and food and sustainability so we can all work on this together. Um, but yeah, it, it, it really, it doesn't go far enough and makes the resolve to do something about it even greater. Was there anything that you are optimistic about um, from the food strategy? I mean, Henry Dimbleby uh, presented at Grantswell on Wednesday. He was he was pretty positive about it all, really. So, so what do you think about that? Look, I, and you're absolutely right. He was being terribly diplomatic. That that possibly comes from someone who's disappointed because his report wasn't followed on, um, but then remembers he's also the lead, not executive director at Defra. So he's probably um, not not in a, a particularly comfortable place on some of that. I, I think. Look, there is some bit. So actually, the fact that they have recognised the importance of food security uh, is good. Let's let's recognise that. George uses some strange statistics on, on self-sufficiency. I think at one point he claims it's 75%, um, whereas actually the reality is it's much nearer 60%. Um, but, but for me, I just think the word ambition is the one that I don't see. I think, yeah, there were bits of Henry's report I disagreed with. Okay. I think some of his analysis around meat in the diet and, and the whole plant-based protein issue, I think there was some, I think he got some bits badly wrong there, but I think in general, what you saw in Henry's report was, was something that had massive ambition. 
Um, and I hoped, therefore, it would lead to an ambitious government plan. Um, and, and probably for me, there's some just the, the bits that I suppose, you know, it's good that we're recognising food security. It's good that um, we're committing to continue to produce food, which is actually possibly something we haven't heard from, from government for a while. But, but when there is virtually zero recognition on food poverty, you know, Lucy quite rightly pointed out earlier that, you know, people eat three times a day. Let's be really honest. There's plenty of people in this country who don't eat three times a day because they can't afford to eat three times a day. Um, and I think that that for me is a massive missed gap. You know, there's all the stuff about fruit and veg. And I, I for one, am a big advocate that we need to be growing more fruit and veg in this country. The fact we've only 40 percent of the apples that are sold in supermarkets are grown in this country. Apples, for goodness sake, something we can grow uh, as easy as anything. And yet we don't touch on fruit and veg about how we're going to invest in water infrastructure. You know, we've got rain in this country, something that not every country in years to come is going to have that availability of fresh water. So I think it is just, you know, yeah, it's 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 a step in the right direction in a tiny way, but it is just that huge missed opportunity. And I think for me, that I worked in the civil service for a while, as some of you know, um, when the words explore and consult appear 20 times in document, it does feel a little bit like long grass territory to me. It doesn't feel like a strategy we're going to pick up today, really run with and change the food system, change uh, how we look at food uh, and actually how we all value food. Because as we know on this call, food can be the answer to so many problems in society, whether it be the health service, whether it be you know access and well-being and mental health, which, which Will and I have talked a lot about in the past and the, the benefits the countryside can bring, or the fact we've got fantastic foods in this country that are just not celebrated enough. And and sorry, I know I'm, I'm wittering on slightly. The, the other bit for me, I think there was a much greater opportunity to underline the importance of trade and standards. Um, having been lucky enough to see two drafts of this document, or, or sorry, the draft of, of the strategy that was circulated to ministers to get sign-off and the published version in the end, there was a serious watering down of the commitments about protecting our environmental and animal welfare standards um, that at some point disappeared. And I think that's a massive op missed opportunity as well. Can I just ask a question back to Lucy? Because actually you've, you've sort of hit on two ends of a different spectrum, haven't you, from the health perspective? Because there's the, the health implications of food from an overconsumption perspective and there's health implications from a food poverty perspective. And I just wonder, Lucy, what... You know, what was really missing, in your opinion, as a nutritionist, obviously, with the background that you've got, but, you know, what was really missing in terms of key messages from a health perspective? Yeah, I think I just want to, yeah, in answering that question, actually, Becky, um, pick up on something that Stuart just um, alluded to, which is this um, concept of the value of food. And I think what we need to start trying to find ways to communicate is that the value of food we should see it as what does food give us to nourish us? You know, it's not food. Food doesn't just fill us up. It actually drives our biology and our health. And bearing in mind the audience that we're talking to, you know, dairy is just a fantastic example of that. Um, it is absolutely packed full of valuable nutrients. You know, we have a, 
we have a problem in our country with iodine deficiency, which isn't an exciting topic to talk about, but it's crucial because it iodine, you know, your level of iodine as a pregnant mother affects the brain development of your baby. And this is the future generation we're talking about. So that's just one example. A glass of milk gives you half your iodine requirements every day. There's no other food that does that. And we don't get these messages coming out. And um, so, you know, dairy and many other animal um, uh, sources of food are provide really rich sources of nutrients, really. And, and that, to me, is what gives food its value. And actually, I think on last week's podcast with Jane Buxton, she was very much talking about some interesting research that's been done where if you look at the emissions from very uh, nutrient dense food, it, it wins all the time over these new, you know, to use that awful saying, plant based um, foods. So, um, so yeah, I think we need to start finding ways to change people's perception of how are they choosing their food based on how will it actually nourish my family as opposed to, you know, what will just fill them up. And it's really hard. It, there are so many barriers to that. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It's so, it's so complex, isn't it? And that's the, the yeah. that's the inherent challenge of one where we've got to and two where we where we need to go. You know, and um, that probably leads back to your point, Stu, about a, a strategy. You know, but w- when we have a strategy, you know, for your uh, at a farm level or a, a industry level or a kite level, you expect it to provide clear direction and ambition and aims and what have you, not not to still be probably in the consultative phase. I think that's exactly right. And I think that the, the difficulty, look, this is really complicated stuff, right? And, and Chris, as well as anyone, understands, you know, the complexity of food supply chains. These are not simple things. You know, food, food is not simple. You know, we, we, we go back to a world where actually what we're interested in is calories. Okay. It's about just about consumption and it's about energy. And, and actually it isn't, it is about the nutrient density of food. We need a different way in this country of describing foods. We need a different way of measuring foods. We also need a way, and this is where it gets really difficult, of talking about some of those intangible uh, attributes of food. So things like um, if you like the moral bit that is animal welfare, that actually our food choices impact on that is really, really complicated. And, and you know, I, I don't know what happened in in, in the, the move from Henry's report to this report, etc. But but what I do know is it's always we've parked the really hard stuff. Um, and, and I think, as I say, that's a missed opportunity. And I think you listen to people. And I don't agree with all of these people, but you listen to people like you know Tim Lang, who is an absolute expert in some of these areas. You listen to uh, to Chris Elliott over in 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 Belfast. Yeah, these are people who've got answers to some of these matrix issues. They've got answers to some of these complexities. They're people who understand not only where, uh, if you like, where resources go, they look at where some of the money goes in these food systems. Yeah, it is massively complicated. But in which case, we deserve a comprehensive, intelligent, well thought through plan to find our way uh, through this. And if we can, 
I think the food system in the UK, I think the farmers in the UK, I think some of the processors in the UK, uh, if they properly look at this, will be and are amongst the best in the world. But we do need to know where that destination is and what we're going to put in place to get ourselves there. Otherwise, other countries will just jump on this. And unfortunately, if we don't put the right trade systems in place you know that, that it will lead to a pretty bad result for us and and as i say a missed opportunity i, I i'm actually very positive about the future for for our industry but only if we can get everyone else excited and ambitious about it and and that's just not what i see in this document can i can i sum up what chris elliott put on twitter the other day Did it you won't see take that? you long it won't take you long uh, uh chris no, he did. A, apparently, he did a 700 word article on the national food strategy, which I haven't read. But he was a bit cheesed off because somebody had said that the report was shit from shits. And Chris Elliott basically said, I've just wasted 700 words saying exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got to tick that explicit language box again, Chris, this week. <laughs> I'm only requoting. <laughs> Stuart, from, um, from an esteemed academic as well, Chris. Yeah, he's not just from from man on the street. You know, Chris would have well well thought through those words. Yeah, for sure. Um, Stuart, will the will the NFU have played a role in the strategy at all? In, in, in even if it's just in the background. Yeah, yeah. So yes, they will have, and I think actually, I'd like to hope some of the. Uh, the recognition for the, the the food security stuff, the the fact that actually we do value food production in this country, I think is probably uh, a direct reflection of of that. Um, but I think there'll also be bits that, that and I haven't spoken to to the NFU about about the the food strategy since it's been published. But there will be bits that I expect they're disappointed with. So on the one hand, um, government talk about this massive increase in fruit and veg, right? I get really excited about that. I think it is a missed opportunity. Yeah, they got no answers on labour. They've got no answers on investment in water. In which case, what is it other than some aspiration that then has no substance? So I, I would have thought certainly on the labour stuff, there will be some pretty big disappointment around. So um, yeah, I'd be, um, I'd be slightly concerned about that. I think um, the, 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 the horticulture bit is, is potentially um, if we get labour right, if we get water right, if we get investment right, is a massive opportunity here and something we should get very excited about. Um, yet they haven't got the answers for how you do it. No, no, completely. Agree. I think fruit and veg sums up our food supply chain. And I think in principle, it's very simple, uh, Stuart, because I don't know a lot about it. But what happens, what seems to happen to me is that the fruit and veg growers have to spend small fortunes on buying machines to plant the fruit and veg, to harvest fruit and veg. The world and his wife says, eat more fruit and veg, eat more fruit and veg, which is great. And then the government doesn't have a policy in place for pickers of the fruit and veg, and the supermarkets shaft the farmers for growing it. So the farmers say, stuff you, I'm not going to grow any fruit and veg anymore. 
look, I think that's absolutely right, uh, Chris. And as ever, you 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 articulate it in a, in a, in a very concise way. I think the other bit for me, and it goes back to something Lucy said earlier, um, particularly with fruit and veg, but it's actually the same for other things as well, um, is we don't look at what the real costs of those foods are. So actually, if you look at the embedded water cost, for example, in in imported fruit and veg from elsewhere in the country, there's absolutely no recognition for that whatsoever. Um, whereas actually, and I think Lucy talked earlier about, you know, valuing food in a different way. And I think Lucy was talking about nutrition, but actually it's not just nutrition. It's also the environmental impacts of food, et cetera. Um, and, and that's the depth of complexity we need to get into in a food strategy, um, not just simple headlines, consultations, and, and as you say, behaviours in a supply chain and arguably encouraged by a government um, that massively undermine those investment approaches that are being made on farms. And I, and I think it's it's just a, a crying shame for it. Yeah, which, which brings us quite nicely onto, onto the, the S word, sustainability, which feels like a word to me that's misused quite a lot at, at the moment. But Lucy, do you think that the government has done enough to showcase what sustainability really is when it comes to a food strategy? Uh, no, and I don't. I don't know that they really understand it. I, um, mm. I. So um, yeah, just hold that thought. Um, just hearing that talk about um, fruit and veg. So, for example, perhaps this kind of works. Fun fact: one apple has a thousand microorganisms in it. You know, an apple falling from a tree naturally. So, so like a probiotic is live bacteria. Sorry, I'm seeming like I'm going off on a tangent here. I'm, but I'm smiling because if John, if John, if John Allen's listening, Lucy, he will love this. He loves yeah, a factoid. Very good. Uh, yeah, very good. I should be, so, I should be um, ringing my John Allen factoid bell now. There we go. So bear with. So, so, but if we import those apples from New Zealand and we, you know, spray them with carbon dioxide and everything else, it's all but gone by the time it reaches our plates. And yet, obviously, we're in Britain. We've we, we can grow apples. So. Um, so there's a product that is so sustainable, as Stu says, we, we've got so much rain. It's a lovely natural resource. And I think there's some just key, simple um, facts that certainly um, as far as sustainability and our health go, and of course, being the nutritionist on here, I am the one that's kind of going to keep bringing it, the conversation back to our health. That is, is just, there's just a there's just such um, there's such a lack of it. We so need to get health um, back in back in the conversation. And um, I'm almost at the point actually. I mean, at Groundswell yesterday, I you know I came away feeling enthused by the the, the people that you're among, but totally overwhelmed and disillusioned by the the sort of the brick wall, which feels you know the, the government. Um, policy in all of this it just takes so long to get some of these some of this understanding and these measures in place um so uh you know a good example maybe having just mentioned those microbes in apples is that the whole all the fantastic research we have now about our own gut health and our own um gut bacteria and our microbes and how important they are in the soil and in ourselves the two systems are completely synonymous um, the research on that is only five or 10 years old. It's not yet even in medical training. You know, it certainly won't be in any policy. It is the reason why we're all being encouraged to eat fruit and veg, because um, that in our diet really helps 
our microbes, which our gut microbes, which we know really, really helps our long term health. So that's good. But yeah, we've we've got to find a way to make that work within our within our farming system. And um, yeah, for me, the the sustainable um, approach, it we we've got to get, we've got to win people over. We've got to be the voice that counters the whole vegan movement. We've got to find a way of just starting to affect behavior change just through the media, because the media at the moment is just the elephant in the room for for you, you know, it just but the term plant-based is taken to mean the wrong thing. People think it means I'm just going to eat vegan food or vegetarian food when actually it means we should be eating 60% plants and the other third of our plate should be filled with fantastic food like dairy and meat and fish and all, you know, mindfully, sustainably sourced. But it's um, we've got to get the media on board. We've got to get this message out. And um, I, I'm sort of at the point now with I'm so frustrated by it that I feel that's kind of maybe where my my space is rather than trying to affect change through policy change because I just feel it's never gonna it's not gonna happen this is an urgent urgent problem for our health and for our countryside and it's it's not going to happen quick enough the way we're going at the moment Lucy the, the strategy suggests that the government um follow up really to what, what you've just been saying will work to encourage healthier and more sustainable dietary choices and it references um, encouraging improved awareness of good dietary choices and uh, five million pounds to deliver a school cooking revolution for children in primary school. I sort of prick my ears up at that. What what do they mean by healthier and more sustainable dietary choices? And is 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 that good enough? It, five million doesn't seem an awful lot to do that. But what, what do you think? No, I agree. Five million doesn't seem very much at all. Bearing in mind that you know, few schools actually now have cooking facilities in them so for a start you've got to get the resources in there to be able to deliver that program so I'm not quite sure how that's going to work with only only five million but um so the so healthy sustainable food has to be food which obviously um uh works with nature we must always learn from nature and and uh coming at it from a vet background and a nutrition background that means we have to include food um, from our grazing animals that are so vital in our countryside so uh, it has to include dairy has to must in, should include beef um, and, and meat and eggs and and fish and all the rest of it and um, we have in order for that to happen we have to get an understanding we, we have to help people I don't mean to sort of be preachy but we have to help people to understand why our animals are so important in our whole um, farming system, if it's going to be a farming system that is a sustainable one that will um, help and be the answer to climate change. So, um, so first of all, it's getting that understanding through, which definitely is, is through education. Um, and, and then it's, you know, delivering that it has to be a change in the curriculum and let alone just, you know, bringing a little bit of cooking into schools Um We've, we've got to get children reconnected back to where our food comes from, back to food provenance. So, um, you know, a healthy diet is, or, or at least trying to uh, use five million pounds to get that into the nation's primary school seems not enough because it's not only got to be, it, you know, there's such a deep rooted um, disconnect with um, what healthy food actually means and we've, we've got to actually get it into the curriculum as well the importance of, of nature and I mean even you know from a business perspective you know there's so many ways that you can use nature mm. as a 
um, as a concept, as a, as a good model for, for many different areas in life. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm a bit too broad with my answers, but no, yeah, no, no, fresh back from Groundswell and a little bit frustrated this morning. No, I know, I know what you mean. But uh, so, so last week we had a brilliant response to last week's guest, um, Jane Buxton, who wrote, who's written the book, um, The Great plant-based con um, which engages with a great deal of, of nutritional research um, especially relating to plant-based and the benefits of meat and dairy and the strategy references alternative proteins and I'll, I'll quote from the strategy uh, of the section one three four the alternative protein sector provides another opportunity for growth complementing traditional livestock sectors the UK has been at the forefront of innovation in protein sources since the development of corn products in the 1980s, with a world-leading production facility in Billingham creating jobs and investment in northeast England. The government will keep the UK at the front of this growing and innovative sector by supporting alternative protein research and innovation, including as part of our partnership with UK Research and Innovation UKRI to invest over 120 million in research across the food system. Lots of questions from that, but does the strategy go far enough when it comes to highlighting the nutritional benefits of a, of a rounded diet? Look, I, I just think, you know, I hear that sort of wording and I just think there's such, there's such simple messaging to try and and get out in all of this, which is, in the UK, you know, we're an, we're an island nation with 60% of our grasslands that need, that can only be grazed. And we have this natural resource that's rain. And the more research we can get going on what we've already got and, and what we've had for so many years and is, you know, put that funding into the regenerative farming to um, start to understand the real connections between the health of our soil and the nutrient density of the food that we already produce. And, and that these, this will then, you know, it, it helps communities. It's sustainable in every sense of the word and help people to understand that those are the foods from a health perspective that we really need. You know, I, I don't mean to be biased and keep talking about dairy, but there is no other food that gives you the calcium that dairy has. So we've got rickets increasing in children at the moment in the UK because the calcium intake is so poor. We don't know how much calcium you can absorb from plants. Even if you, you supplement food, you know, plant-based food with calcium, we don't know if we can absorb the calcium from that mm. food, but we know for sure that we can absorb it from dairy better than any other food because dairy is nature's miracle that has a protein in it which helps our body to absorb the calcium in it and it's just this beautiful sort of natural system that works so i you know i i um i'm not sure that what's driving that sort of um the paragraph that you've just read out there will that the research that's driving that the knowledge that's driving it. I don't actually know where that comes from because we know as far as our health goes that we've got to get back to nutrient-rich, um, minimally processed food that drives our health. Mm. You know, we're literally killing our health with processed foods and these kind of man-made plant-based foods, we, we just don't know what how they're going to impact our health. So I, I do have a real problem with that. You don't have to apologise for multiple references to dairy on this podcast. <laughs> so you, you, you've got a willing audience, that's for sure. You, 
You were so, going to come, I think, in Stuart on the sort of health front. Yeah, and, and look, I I feel a, a fraud in this when when talking to to people like Lucy. And I remember Lucy and I doing a podcast two three years ago on on this same topic. I think, and, and for me. Part of it, and we've got to be really honest, part of the alternative protein uh, movement is driven by commercials. Let's be really honest about this. It's about investment. It's about returns. It's about commercials. It's actually not about about health. And, And the problem is, you know, there's lots of money to be made by by selling books about particular diets. There's lots of money to be made in terms of coming up with alternatives. Actually, what we want as human beings is a healthy, balanced diet. And, and actually, that's about fruit and veg. That's about red meat. That's about dairy. But but a healthy, balanced diet is not sexy. It's just it seems boring. But actually, is what what we all need. You know, when I went through that that big weight loss journey all those years ago, there was not a single food I cut out. Yeah, it was just about eating things in the right proportions. And I think Lucy touches really well on some of the the, the, the sort of the ultra processed foods. But the other bit, and, and I get slightly frustrated in, in this whole debate, we also forget the reason we choose the foods we do is because actually we enjoy them. You are allowed to enjoy yeah. food. You're allowed to enjoy some fantastic cheeses. You're allowed to enjoy a good steak. And 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 for me, any food that's eaten out of proportion um, actually will not be good for you. It's about balance. And and I don't know this is true. And Lucy can can correct me if it's not. But it's a great statistic. And that is that actually, if all you ate was celery you would eventually die because it takes more calories to chew the celery than are in the celery to start off with. But, you know, any food that's taken out of proportion is not not good for you. Let's just get back to enjoying a healthy, balanced diet, some fantastic protein, um, you know, some great foods. We, we celebrate food. Why are, are all our festivals actually the centre of all our festivals is the meal that accompanies it. Yeah, yeah. You are allowed to enjoy food. It's not just a piece of science. Yeah. You die of boredom first, surely, if you were just eating celery. Yeah. Look, and, look, British British celery is a fantastic product. Gorgeous. Becky, and just it's not great. And it's great to have alongside a nice piece of cheddar with some pickle and <laughs> a bread. I think I've kept all the sectors happy there, just about. With but, salt, yeah. with a bit of butter. Can, Absolutely. Can, can I just say that for those of us enjoy enjoyed um, the night at uh, Grandsville a bit too much drinking, too much of one thing out of proportion isn't good for you either. Um, <laughs> but I tell, but I, tell, I tell you what, Will, you did a cracking job for the barley market that night. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, less said about that the better. But um, Stuart, let, let, let's give you the final word. Does let, let, let's think about opportunities. Does does publishing this strategy change anything for farmers? Uh, and should it should it give us uh, more or less confidence in the future of food and farming? Um, I, I'd say uh, I'd say I'm pretty neutral on whether it gives us more or less confidence. Um, what I think it does do is I think it gives us another opportunity to talk about food, and actually that's what Great. farmers do. We, mm. we yes, yeah, we do that in harmony with all the other things we do around landscapes, environment, carbon sequestration, all the stuff we've talked about before. I think it gives us an opportunity to talk about food. Um, and, and I'll be um, 
I'll be really honest, I think it gives a massive opportunity for someone to write a really intelligent, really comprehensive, really well thought out and resourced food plan, um, because this doesn't do it. And therefore, actually, I think the discussion about farming, the discussion about food, certainly in the political arena, um, will be heading straight into the next general election. And, and, and hopefully, if all of us can be talking about these big issues, the big beneficiaries will be the farmers of this country because it rises up the political agenda. Fantastic. Okay, well, that's all we have time for. But a very big thank you to our guests today, Stuart Roberts, Lucy Williamson, Chris Walkland, and our podcast producer, Becky Leach. Uh, apologies, ben, Ben's been having sound issues. I haven't. We haven't just sort of shouted him down throughout. He, he, <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't been able to join in, uh, uh, so uh, he's had some tech issues living down there in the Essex wilderness. But um, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. And for now, it's goodbye from all of us here. <laughs>